Hey, everybody. Wow. Uh, there's some holes. Should we wait or should we just go? Just go? Fuck them. Yeah, it's Christmas. Some people might be out of town. All right. Maybe not fuck them in this joyous giving holiday season. <laughs> I spoke too soon. Uh, welcome back to Red State of the Union uh, Q&As. I'm Kevin Smith. Uh, it's, uh, it's a cool week for us because we debuted the, the, tr- the teaser, which you guys saw way, way back in the beginning, um, for the rest of the world online. And, uh, it seems to have gone over well. So that's kind of, kind of neat. Once the movie plays at Sundance, uh, and, and I assume some people will write about it, more details about the, the back end of the movie will get out and whatnot. And then it'll be easier to kind of show clips from later in the movie. But until then, it's pretty much all the first 17 minutes of the movie. Doesn't matter for you cats because before we go up to Sundance, you guys will all come up to my house and watch the flick. So you'll see the whole thing from end to end. But that's for everybody who goes to every class. Wasn't that the idea? So these motherfuckers who are missing, man, this is it. You're the only ones who'll be at the house. This is good for me because I have to buy less pizza now. <laughs> you know, because there's like 12 missing. This is good, man. Knock them off one by one. It's like 12 little Indians, man. Try to get down to like one person. Stay the night in my spooky house. <laughs> <laughs> any event uh tonight we're going to talk to as we have been uh um uh, actors uh yet another uh, very key component uh in the performance crew that makes up the the movie red state uh, we're going to check out a clip and as i said we're still in the first 17 minutes of the movie so it gets tougher and tougher to to pull highlight clips before i left uh, my wife was like what are you going to show tonight and and uh, for for the guest and i i told her and she goes why that why not this other thing and i was like if i show that it's deeper in the movie man i'm trying to keep it spoiler free up front so what you're going to see is excellent work excellent work don't get me wrong but the the doesn't even scratch the surface of what this dude gets into in the movie more or less the hero of the picture so let's take a look at, at this sequence and then we're going to kick back and meet its star go ahead man Suddenly three girls. Yeah, I take the car out, all right? No, 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 no. Hey, we're going to be on TV in a minute. Watch. This was the scene this morning outside the funeral of Jacob Harlow, the 19-year-old whose body was found last week in a dumpster behind a well-known gay bar on Slattery Drive. Bound head-to-toe in plastic wrap, Harlow is the latest victim in a rash of hate crimes that have rocked the city this year, baffling local authorities. Pastor Aben Cooper and the members of his Five Points Trinity Church staged their 432nd funeral demonstration since 2001, a demonstration that reflected Cooper's fringe beliefs. Why are we celebrating a fallen homosexual? Sinners go to hell. Duh. This is Catherine Carlisle reporting there we are. for KHB. Uh, there we are. <laughs> I'm sleeping with a TV star tonight. Yeah, you are. How'd you know we were going to be on there? Oh, Barbara called me. She saw it on the 5 o'clock news. So are you going to tell your friends we're famous? Probably not. Smart ass. Where are you off to tonight? I don't know. Just going to drive around with Jared and Billy Ray. Probably go see a movie or something. I fill up the tank before you bring it back. Can I get some money for guys? No. Get it from your friends. Chauffeur around all night. Lock up when you come home here. Later. Bye. Be safe. Yeah, that's it. Or he's not going to he's out of the driveway he's first. He's not. <laughs> <laughs> Michael's performance centers the whole fucking movie. He's the first person you meet, and he's more or less the hero. Uh, of Red State. Um, and he's like a real hero to the director. And I'll show you why in a couple of minutes as you meet him with me, ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Mike Langarano. 
Um, whip the dick out right away and tell people who you've worked with. Just some some names of cats you've worked with behind and in front of the camera, actors and directors, because you've worked with a fucking plethora of talent. Um, I was maybe like ten years old or something, and I was um, Meryl Streep's son in a movie called Music of the Heart. That was like a big deal, and Wes Craven directed that, and it was like a bunch of actors in it, like a bunch of really crazy people, like um, Angela Bassett and like Cloris Leachman and Gloria Estefan. So right. That was like a big deal. I mean, my father, you know, I had to go on the audition for the movie, and it was like, you know, really intense stuff, and I had to go, um, like, you have to cry in auditions, and it's always like, I, I can never, ever do that. I can't even begin to name how many movies, like, I had to go in and cry for and they were like well he can't cry the first thing my dad showed me he showed me the deer hunter right like sobbed my eyes out why because it was so fucking long because it, yeah, because it was like one of the most visceral reactions i still put on this movie to this day and have like a very visceral reaction. really what yeah. about it what about it it's that scene in the movie that's like the famous scene with robert de niro and um and and Christopher Walken mm-hmm. when they're doing, you know, the Russian roulette. It's actually, um, I showed, I, I, Nick Braun had never seen the movie. Right. Deer Hunter. And I, for this movie, I was like, you should see that shit just because. The intensity level. For, yeah, for whatever reason, whatever they do there, it's like, it, it'll, as an actor, give you a good place to go. What had you done? What had, like, a lot of TV? I had done dozens and, like, dozens of commercials and stuff. What kind of commercials did you do? My first commercial was a Sudafed sinus commercial. I was actually Tiny Tim in Radio City Music Hall. That was like when I was seven years old. For the big Christmas show? For like, yeah, the Christmas. Get out of here. So how many, this is what, for like two months straight or something? Yeah, it was like 99 performances, like five days, five times a day or something. Did you have an understudy? Yeah, I did. I actually, I, I saw my understudy do a performance one day and he was doing an English accent and I was like flabbergasted. I was like, what the f- I had no idea I was supposed to be doing an accent. <laughs> and so, like, the next... God time, bless us, everyone! <laughs> yeah, no, like, cut to me next next, next show and being like, God bless us, everyone! Like, the, the worst British accent you'll like, ever Like, is he Australian? Is he meant to and be Australian? It was, like, the one time in, like, the cast meeting after the show, like, the big production meeting, they called my name finally, and it would be like, Michael, just don't, you know, don't use the accent next time. <laughs> and then the soonest thing after that was Almost Famous... Right. I'm in like five minutes of that movie and I did like two months rehearsal for it with like Cameron Crowe and with um, Francis McDormand and Pat Fugit. And he did a lot of rehearsal. Why did you have to rehearse with Pat Fugit? He, we worked with an acting coach for like weeks straight. Before I even got the part, I did um, like I did two or three three hour long like acting sessions with an acting coach. Because he was playing the older version of yeah, you we were did, playing like, the younger version of him and that was important to Cameron Crowe. Like you guys gotta seem like you're the same person. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We did. Um that would never occur to me, man. I know we <laughs> I'd be the guy on set being like, let's pit these two against one another. <laughs> you know, in a room with this guy's shirts, this guy's skins, a cage match of some sort. Yeah, we did like we worked on mannerisms and stuff. Get out of like, here. That probably People don't even notice in the movie, but like I have similar mannerisms to the older version of me in that movie. Who who had to match who? You know, more or less Patrick or or like whatever the acting coach would would do. Like we had this wave that was like our key. Right. It was like the key to the character. This wave that was just like a little kind of thing, and that right, was like right. the character key for all three of us. It was like me and Cameron meaning too. You know, what, him what, what, in real I mean, life? it was. Yeah, there's a picture of us like against me, Pat, and Cameron Crowe with like a doing, doing the, the Cameron wave. wave. Yeah, that's and now that, and it's in the movie too. Like Pat does it a bunch of times. I do it at one point, and right. it was like the key to all of our 
Never noticed. I'm going to go back and look. Do the commercial. Do besides Sudafed, what else did you do? And how many, and, and that was, that's a whole business in and of itself, a whole industry. A huge money making business. It is, right? Like yeah, yeah make, for everybody involved. You make more money in doing commercials than you'll ever make in doing independent movies. Yeah, no doubt. It's like you make, you could make anywhere from like 50 to 100 grand in like off one commercial. Now, when you're a kid, um, and you're doing all this acting, you're in commercials and shit. Clearly, you're being seen. You go back to school, people are like, I see you in this. Do you yeah. get treated differently? Do you get beat up? Do you not get beat up? Yeah. What is the... For, for me, I've always been really lucky. I've always been, like... Because if if you do it, if you're like an actor, that comes with a certain stigma that you're either a successful actor or you're not a su- successful actor. Right. And I was always a successful actor, like oh, meaning like I was always working. And but not at the point where you could like really make fun of me for things. You know what I mean? Like right, right. you can't make fun of me for being like like every you can't make fun of me for doing like a I don't know, some weird You don't have a Paul Blart on your resume. Well, I mean I like earlier I do, but it was like more But you weren't Paul Blart himself. <laughs> exactly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh so it was always like that nice medium for me. I was right. always like successful and working and was able to be like, you know, very to myself. And I was also able to like maintain a lot of friends in school mm-hmm. and who knew me before I started acting and stuff, you know? Now, when did you make the move from back East to moving out West? When I was, uh, officially when I was 12, I think, or 11. So um, did you continue to go to school out here or then it was, Yeah, I did. And it was, it was miserable. Um, because like I would be so behind in schoolwork. I would, they would send me like, you know, schoolwork for two weeks ago and I would already be like two weeks behind. So, it would just compound, and by the end of the year, I would be, like, months behind. Right. And I, I wasn't the best student in school anyway. I was smart, but not, like, book smart, not nearly, like, applying myself as, like, a, a great, right. exceptional but you student. were already working at that point. Exactly. So to, I, I had an hour. At that I was point, I like, imagine you're seeing behind the curtain where you're like, why am I learning this bullshit, man? Yeah, totally. I can make 100K pitch in Sudafed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck your mathematics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like... I mean, more or less. It's always like the student who, like, you know, why do I have to learn geometry? I'm not going to be like some kind of aeronautics engineer. You know what I mean? I'm not going to do this. Most people are like, I'll never use this. And you're like, ma'am, I could tell you for a fact that in my (laughs) line of work, I don't use this. (laughs) I didn't use it yesterday. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it's only about the geometry of how much fucking pussy I get as an actor, bitch. (laughs) Um, Is there a lot of pussy in being an actor? There definitely could be. For sure. <laughs> As the lights go down. Um, what is, uh, what, when you were 12, you moved out here when you're 12, so you're heading into high school, like 13, yeah. 14, yeah. and being in movies and shit, does that make it easier to pick up a chick in high school? I would have been, I would have gotten like head galore if I'd been in commercials yeah. in my town. I'd be right. like, did you see the Sudafed ad? Right. I'm the sick kid. <laughs> Suck my dick. Right. I'm the one giving the teacher a headache. <laughs> yeah. um, no, it was just, I, it was, I don't know, for me personally, I went through like a, a weird dry spell in high school. I wasn't, because I was also never there. Right. I was also never to establish any kind of real relationship with anybody. Right. And maybe it was me, but I was never like, I, I just never went for the girls who would be like, hey, I can give you a blowjob if you want. You know what I mean? I would just never. <laughs> I couldn't find them either. Yeah. Like I, <laughs> I was looking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like. Head was some like foreign like myth to me. You know? yeah. It was more about getting a blowjob than it was about having sex for the longest time. Right, right, right. I couldn't imagine what that felt like. Just getting head. Yeah, like what was that like? That's that that was like dark for me. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh, that twisted world of the world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because there was once a rumor that this like most beautiful girl in my high school who was like a sophomore, right. who I had the, I was like really, I ended up being good friends with her and making out with her eventually in like some weird stealth mission that I had that nobody ever believed me on. But I, um, there was a rumor that she gave this guy a blowjob right. for like an hour and a half straight. And I was like, why would she do this? <laughs> Like, why is she so pretty and so, like, maybe not smart, but she's so pretty? Why is she subjecting herself to this? And, yeah, ever since then, I was like, wow, head, dome, blowjob. I, like, I can't even, I can't even imagine what that's like. It was the length of it that, that yeah, blew your really mind? Yeah, it messed me up for a while. You're like, blow, blow for three minutes, but an hour and a half, that's Yeah, crazy. it was like, her jaw must have been so tired. I was like... <laughs> Just all these things in my, but I'm the kind of guy who like goes and gets like a, like a, like a lap dance at a strip club and, and is like asking the stripper, like, can I be honest with you? Are you enjoying this at all? Um, okay. So now you are out here, uh, you're acting your little ass off. You're winding up in fucking movies left and right. Sky high is a huge fucking get, I imagine. Sky High, to be completely honest, I mean, I, I really do love the movie now, but when I first... You were like, oh, I don't want to be in this movie. Yeah. Who are you? Completely. Because the script was the script it is now, like the, the structure and the formula that it is, but it was not funny. Right. It had no sense of humor whatsoever. And just I, maybe it was like the kind of movies that I had done or like any kind of career that I had up until that point. I was like, I'm not going to sell out. I'm going to like stick to my guns here. I'm like 14 years old. Um, <laughs> but I was like, I, I want like the Robert De Niro career and that like, that's what I want. I, I don't want to do like the Disney channel stuff. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I'm a f- huge Disney channel fan. Right. But when Sky Eye came along, there was a moment where like I got the phone call and I literally c- collapsed kind of onto my knees and was like, I have to, I got, do I have to like, really? You yeah. were like, woohoo. It's no, the opposite. Really You're like, oh. yeah. but I, Soon, like, you know, changed my, I, I mean, I met everybody for it and I met, um, the director actually, I, for what, whatever, it, whatever it's worth, I think he did like a really great thing. He brought a movie. bunch to it. Yeah. yeah I mean, they, they, himself. they had like writers come in from the Simpsons and from like really great shows and do punch ups on it and like the cast he cast and mm-hmm. he did, he like had a very, you know, he made the movie what it is. Is it Mike Mitchell? Is that yeah. his name? He did, yeah. uh, he did that. He did Surviving Christmas, which with is a movie ben, that yeah. with Ben, which a lot of people shit on because Ben was Ben yeah. at that point, Ben down in the dumps, Ben. But it's actually a really funny movie. I think so too. Yeah, I, I thought th- he did a really good job. Yeah, he just is a guy who, like, you go to the set. I went to set anyway. Nick Braun had problems with him because he didn't let him put a pick in his hair. Yeah. So Nick was always like, I don't know, man. Like, that guy, he's like, I don't know. <laughs> That's a pretty good fucking Nick. <laughs> and I'm like, and I'm like, really? I kind of like him. Like, he's kind of funny. He's just kind of really goofy. I mean, how important is having fun to the process of an actor? Well, I, I guess I, I've been also lucky to have fun most of the time. Mm-hmm. And I've been on things where I haven't been having fun, rarely. Right. But I have been, and it's not fun. What's the shit? What makes something not fun, generally? When you know what you're doing is like a, a, it's not good. Right. And when you know like nobody really cares. And for you, anyway, you're not involved like on a like creative level, and you're not... You just don't have the confidence that you have. Or you don't... Like, you don't have that camaraderie with the director where you can go and like mess around with him or like... Right. It's not even about like doing jokes or anything it's not about like having fun it's just about being 
you know, having being able to be liberated in some kind of way. Or feel satisfied. Like, yeah, exactly. all right, man, I did right. something. Because more or less, this is a choice for you. Like, you don't have to go and do this movie. If you're pressed for money and stuff, you do. Mm-hmm. Um, which is unfortunate for a lot of people. They do have to do that. And, I mean, it, it, that, I've always thought that is a good way of, like, you know, kind of exercising as an actor, too. It's like you don't always have to do the stuff that you want to do. You should do the stuff that you... Go outside really the comfort challenge. zone. Yeah, totally. But for the most part, the stuff that's when you're having fun is the stuff that turns out good in mm-hmm. any case. You know what I mean? Like the stuff where you find that it's a really easy set to be on and you're working with great people who make it easy for you. Um, that's the stuff that turns out good. What was the, what was the Soderbergh flick and what was he like? What was he like? Cause um, I remember you talking like he was real like, go. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a perfect example. He was, um, it's this movie called Haywire, mm-hmm. and it's like right in between his is like is is like you know he either does it a very expen- experimental kind of low budget mm-hmm. more like indie kind of kind of movie, or he'll do like The Ocean's Twelve or like you know The Informant or you know which right. are, The Informant I feel is also kind of in between, but I don't he'll know. He'll jump between like Bubble and right. Ocean's Twelve, right? Exactly. Um, and so it's right in between because it has a really great cast. It has like Michael Douglas and Ewan McGregor and like Channing Tatum and. Antonio Banderas and like, you know, Matthew Kasovitz and Bill Paxton, um, and Michael Fassbender. But the, the main, main actress is this, uh, MMA fighter named Gina Carano. Mm-hmm. And for him, it's going to be like his version of a born movie with right. a woman. That's what he says he wants it to be. Um, and so it's like right in between. It's very experimental, obviously, because your main actress has never acted before. Have you, did you have scenes with her? All my stuff is with her. Everything's with her. Yeah. How was she? She had great instincts and it was, it was really interesting to, ro- to watch because she had like fighter instincts. Um, and so you so, throw out an ad lib and then she fucking punches yeah. you in the face and yeah, you're like, exactly. ow! Breaks, yeah. Um, but for, with Soderbergh, yeah, I, all I was doing was actually ad libbing. It was really interesting because there would be times I wouldn't like talk to him for, hours on end and I would be doing like one take, 15 takes in a row, like none of them the same. And, and he would me, never come over and be like, he would never be like, you know, for continuity purposes, you should like reel it in, do like one matching one or something, which is what you always have to do. Right. He would just be like, he wouldn't say a word. I, the one thing he said to me, we did this rehearsal once and, um, I'm like wrapping her arm in a movie, in the movie, like as a, like I'm wrapping her arm. She has like a gunshot wound and I'm wrapping it. Right. And I like wrap my hand in the gauze. And I was like, oh, this is kind of like interesting character thing. Like, what if my character, and this is where you really like get indulgent as an actor sometimes. And like, for me, I always feel like I'm like on that fine line of like, should I say this? Fuck it. I'll just say it. You know, I might as well. It's my, this is my pick in my hair. You know what I mean? (laughs) I'll have my hand in gauze for the, for the whole movie and like won't explain it. Is that cool? Right. And he was like, um, oh, so this is an actor's decision. And I was like, Maybe not. <laughs> Maybe I won't do that. Right. Um, but yeah, he was like, I think that's the Zen master. That's the, yeah. when you reach the Yoda stage of directing, um, yeah, there is, it's like a, there is no spoon kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. He, you, by the, by the way he directs, and if you were a visitor on set and had no history, if you had no knowledge of his history, right. Or like his filmography, you would be like, this guy can't make that good of a movie. I mean, it's efficient and it's really, like, really tight. He has, like, the best crew. Like, the, 
the like the focus pullers, like the sh- focus puller from like Schindler's List. Right. Like that's the guys he's. That's he has, his crew. he has an amazing crew, but also he's a cutter as well. Yeah. He, no, that's what he. It he, helps. You to guys just, work he sits exactly there and the same. He just cuts his movie in his head. You guys work exactly the same in that sense. He was like editing the movie in the bar at night, like showing everybody a, like a scene, or like right. like fifteen minutes later, like a different version of that scene. <laughs> And like you guys are exactly similar in that sense, where you're like you're filmmakers, but you're editors most mostly. His story. Some other filmmaker told me a story of uh, Soderbergh gave him a, a DVD one day, and he was just like, "What is this?" And he goes, "I just I was bored one day, so I did a recut of your movie. Just check it out. The movie had been it had been out for years. Soderbergh did a recut of it. Yeah, yeah, he's just he's that guy. He's the guy who like not only does he'll sit around fuck around cutting right. apparently and shit, and he'll." Cut like not only his stuff, do multiple cuts of his movies yeah. years later and shit. Like I just figure out a better way to do this and yeah. he'll do a cut, but he'll grab somebody else's movie and recut it as well. I mean, the guy loves creating. He like, does. He's he an does. artist. Yeah, man. that's exactly. the thing. He's just if it's not film, he's over here. Like yeah. now he's into graphic arts or or sculpting arts or something. Yeah, like visual he wants, arts. He wants to retire from movies and paint or something. And paint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what he. Well, and he's been doing it for like let's let's say eighty nine was Sex Lies a videotape. Right. So 30 years, you yeah. know what I'm saying? Like maybe he's just reached a point where he's like, I've done everything I could possibly do in film. Yeah, we'll go yeah, through this totally. For a while. Yeah. Um, the, uh, we, when, uh, I, you, when we got you on to Red State, uh, you were the only actor I think I sat down with in advance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I, was I? I don't yeah, know. that was it. I never sat down <laughs> with Nick. Um, and I didn't sit, just sit, I, I met Kyle on set the first day. Yeah, I so think. right. Yeah. By the end of it, I felt so fucking comfortable about that section of the movie. And it was like, I wouldn't go so far as to say it was the the kids were two dimensional roles, but clearly they were ciphers, you know, they were horror movie ciphers and you guys were able to bring something to it. That scene that we watched here uh, tonight at the beginning, I love that the fucking moment where you're just, where she's like, you can tell your friends are famous. You can barely look at her like probably not, but what we don't really See in this clip, and you'll see later on, and I'll try to talk about it without going into much detail or spoiler detail, but I guess you can see it in the teaser. Um, Michael is probably the fastest fucking human being I've ever met in my life. We were shooting stuff where he had to run. Fucking Barry Allen fast, dude. (laughs) You know, the whole, everyone was a statue to you. It was just so fucking quick and whatnot. Um, so much so that your dad came to visit a few times and every time your dad was by me by the monitor, I would be like, Hey, how are you? And then I'd be like, your son's so fast. (laughs) Um, What? He's, proud. he's very proud of that. He, well, yeah, More he, than like any acting thing. He's a fast fucker. Yeah, he's okay. a fast fucker. He will always run from hurt or harm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he has that act. You do your father much better than I. It was funny because I was talking to you like next day. I was like talking to your, his dad and, I, and the next day I was talking to Michael going, your dad's got an accent. It's weird. Like he's got an East Coast accent. Yeah. And Michael rocked his do your dad's accent. It's pretty awesome. What's, what's the fucking website for the podcast? <laughs> Wait, could I watch that thing live? <laughs> <laughs> oh no shit alright All right. tell that Kevin Smith I say hello you know way Brooklyn like, I dug him he's a good dude um, alright man let's uh, open it up to these cats who's got some questions for, for Michael do we have a mic down here Mike's coming down there good old Derek's here with the mic hand up ladies and gentlemen there's one right there at what point did you see the script for Red State and uh, what were your first impressions of it when you saw it? Uh, I saw the script after I had known I got the part, actually. 
Um, I auditioned uh, with Deb Aquila, mm-hmm. and uh, the sides, the dialogue that I had, it was like seven pages of sides, but it was all like the first 15 pages or so of the script. And you could see it was like page 13 or something. And so that for me was like, it, it seemed very Kevin Smith-esque because it is. It's like two, three kids talking about pussy, about like pounding pussy and stuff like that. <laughs> and so you, uh, so, but I had spoken with Deb and I know Deb for a while mm. and uh, we like talked briefly and she was like, I was like, so what's, what is this? Like, is it crazy? Does it get like nuts? Cause you could tell that there's like some weird tone in it that it's going to get nuts. And she was like, oh, oh, Michael, it's, it's, it's nuts. And, and she's like, it's, it's, uh, it has a message. It has a message. And, and like, that's a good demacula, man. I was like, what kind of, what kind of message does it have? And she goes, it's a very important film. And, <laughs> and so I was expecting something really, along those lines when I got the script and I sat down and I, I got the script at like one thirty in the morning and I read it I had finished reading it by like 2.15 it's that quick of a read and but in the first like 17 pages you're like pounding pussy is important <laughs> yeah I was like Dev you're like I guess she's right this is an important <laughs> film <laughs> okay. And ever since I, that I knew I was going to do it, I was like putting all these things in my mind, like, well, where could it go? I was like scripting it in my head. I was like, well, this might happen or this might happen or that might be a path or that could be another thing. So I had all these different visions in my mind. And, um, and I saw it and I read it and I like sat and I put it down and I was like, all right, okay, I'll sleep on that for, I'll just sleep on that for a night. And I woke up and I was like, Jesus Christ. I was like, that is, that is very, very important. <laughs> whatever it is. And I didn't completely get it at first. I was like, whatever it is, what, I mean, it's, and it's apparent too. It's not like it's, it's hidden or masked at all, but it was like, that is something that it's going to be really important to be a part of. That's like the next thing. I have to do that. You know what I mean? And, and oh, that's, that's what cool. I felt. I was like, that, this is something that if I have a choice, I would want to do this wholeheartedly and be a part of this. And it's something that is going to be very important to be a part of. Um, and also really, really excited because, um, it, a lot of the movie is, it's different from what he's done before, but it's also similar in the sense that it has really, really great dialogue. And at any time that, you know, scripts don't have a lot of great dialogue. They don't have like these speeches in which like thoughts, and ideas and ideas and like you know themes are articulated that doesn't happen in scripts so when you get it it's like wow this is actually this guy is obviously saying something and more or less if it's something that's masked or if he's being like satirical or if he's like if this this is real or whatever it is he this guy is like he knows how to how to say it or he knows what he wants to do and that's also what it's really obvious in the script that it he knew exactly what he wanted there's no like half-assed decision-making going on. You know what I mean? It's like I'm making that choice, and that's what it's going to be. It was a pretty tight blueprint. And yeah. it was just, it was the document, all we needed to kind of go in, and you start putting on, like, the, the musculature and the fucking skin and shit like that, and that was you guys. Like, the performers were just astounding. Took shit that, like, I thought, honestly, I felt, you're very kind of things you said. I always read that script and went, like, this could go fucking either way. Yeah. Like, if you had people in that cast that was just not 
earnest, not taking it seriously. Mm-hmm. I don't think it worked, but everybody treated it serious. That's what I loved about it. At the end of the day, it's a horror movie, right. but it has a fucking amazing cast that is acting their asses off like they get one shot at like it's a one performance only in Central yeah. Park. It's crazy how the how how performance oriented the piece is and it's kind of right. like porn i think i've said it porn for actors yeah i'm but it's kind of what makes it so exciting because each mm. role is like when i first read it i mean I, I remember the three of us the three kids me nick and kyle getting together on the first day and being like i mean it doesn't give anything away either but the kids in the scripts are assholes mm-hmm. and it's like so this, I mean, are we assholes? Like, yeah. are we just at like, do we play it as assholes? And it's like, we all decided nonetheless, like, especially after the first scene, we're like, no, we're just like, play it how we fucking are. It's true. Yeah. I give you guys lots of credit for that. On the page, it was very like, oh, these, you can't wait for these fuckers. It's to very irredeemable almost, but very, but you guys humanize it, even humanize concepts that aren't mainstream you know in terms of like you guys are heading out to have a a three-way with someone you meet on the internet um and it you know i wouldn't say that that's like that's what every young american boy does but a lot do you know so like there was that kind of tie to it but at the end of the day there's normalcy to it there's a sense of normalcy to the whole affair because they think what was the key for all of us is like they think they're much cooler than they are they're not like the badasses that they really think they are. You know what I mean? That's weird. It's interesting. I never thought about it. I always th- because the movie is so much about you guys. I'm like, right. they must be the most popular kids in school, right? <laughs> but I guess you weren't really, because yeah, no, you're going out to get laid in the woods. Yeah, I mean, like the you log guys line- are losers, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The logline for the movie is like three misfits. Yes, and it's like, well, yeah, they they actually are like misfit. They're not. They don't fit in in school and they have like the three of them and they're in their own little world and they rationalize things to each other and one and they all like shit on each other in a weird way, especially the fucking tall, goofy one. Right. But they're all like, they all basically like feed off each other. There's not like one leader. There's not like a real power dynamic. Excellent point. It's very, very true. Yeah, man, you, you guys did like you did an amazing thing and beneficial for the whole fucking flick. Cause I, it, it could have been if you didn't give a fuck about you guys. By the time you guys are in jeopardy, everyone's like, go, you know, yeah. fucking let's see them be, be in jeopardy. But the fact that you, uh, without spoilers, um, with the fact that, uh, um, that, that you guys, you care about you guys every step of the way right. is a huge testimony to the fact that all three were like, well, let's actually play fleshed out characters. But it's also good writing because if you were to like, you know, proceed that, that, when they're in jeopardy with like, oh, pull on their heartstrings, they should feel bad about these guys. Right. Then the movie wouldn't be as effective because yeah. it would be much more formulaic. But instead, you're kind of presenting these guys as three guys who are kind of weird and kind of like, you know, just horny and like kind of dumb, but not, not dumb people. They're not, it's not like an objective, like objectifying view of like, you know, these kids from like, Wherever they they're just, are, you know, they're fucking teenage boys. Exactly. They're young, dumb, full of cum, and they're just like, let's go do a teenage boy exactly. thing and and get trapped in a situation right. that only a teenage boy wanting desperately right. to come by somebody else's hand could ever be trapped in. Right. That usually in like in you know in lucky you know happy go lucky life that mm. results in a great story the right. next day. Next and day, something like, that you'll, amazing. Yeah, something that you'll be telling for the next like ten years, right. twenty, like your whole life. You guys but get it, about 10 minutes. Instead, yeah, you, like we don't, yeah, it's, it, that's what's kind of scary about it. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like that unfortunate turn of 
circumstances that like it is we set out to make we didn't we set out to make unsettling that was the key watchword for everything it was just like it just needs to be unsettling because if it's unsettling throughout the the sum total of that eventually has to be a fucking avalanche of just like the heebie-jeebies you know if you're looking at some sort of flow chart I think right. it goes from unsettling to heebie-jeebies. Um, and I, th- <laughs> and the fact that I think we were able to do that. Each scene is just a little bit unsettling. And yeah. that's what kind of collectively builds it up. But yeah. uh, it helped. It, it helped tremendously that you guys kind of come in the way you do, um, and play it as human beings rather than just like punish these motherfuckers. Yeah. Because it also it, we talked when we spoke before the movie, it was like, this could either be good. And like if it's handled naturally and really, very, you know, simply, mm. it's going to be a really scary movie because where the movie goes, if the, if the first part is strong enough, you're like, fuck, that, that turned into that. And it, it's not that far fetched. Yeah. As crazy as it gets, it's not that far fetched. Right, right, right. And that's what's scary. That's what's like, that's what was so unsettling about the script. And that's when you, when I read it, I, I thought immediately for the first time to answer your question more. It was like a graduation of like plot structure and like character exposition and stuff. You know what I mean? It kind of takes everything and like flips it on flips it on its head somewhat. Like it doesn't follow the formula. It doesn't follow the rules. It's like a different version of it, mm. and that's what's kind of interesting. I know? would say I would say it's it's the kind of thing that a savant could do, but I was not a savant. So it's the kind of thing that doing something for nearly twenty years allows you to do. Yeah. Like after writing a few movies and telling many different uh, types of stories you're able to be like, oh, maybe if I just did this, you right. know, and you start doing stuff, like you start getting a little right. more adventurous with it, right. and, then and fun shit happens. I, I asked you, too. I was very interested to know, like, what the amount of time was. Like, where did it come from? Like, where do you, like, how'd you write it? And he called me, he tells me, he's like, I wrote in, like, four, four fucking days or something. Three, you know what yeah, I mean? Like, three days with, with I sending pages to Malcolm. And I, was, I, haven't, I wasn't really a stoner at that point, either. I was, that was the last thing I wrote ago, right? when I, yeah, it was the last thing I wrote, uh, before I became a stoner. The last thing, I mean, I, I would hate to say what the last was that thing like? I wrote Not, If you don't mind me asking, what was that like? Your, your stoner, your stoner, like graduation, was it like, what was the, why didn't you not smoke and what made you decide, yeah, I'll smoke? I never, uh, there never seemed a point to smoking. Yeah. Cause I, back when I used to, I, it, I would never get crazy baked and it wouldn't do much for me. So you tried and it never worked. Yeah, really. Like many times too. But yeah. it was like, you know, every once in a while I have a good time smoking weed, but it was never something that ever seemed like, oh man, this should be a, a regular part of my day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Save it for special occasions or do it at parties or something like that. And then, Zach and Mary opened and didn't open as well as we thought it was going to open. And right then and there, I was like, I'm going to start getting stoned all the time. (laughs) Um, Which is good that it's smoking instead of like out, you know, booze. Well, booze is really destructive. You know, I found like booze. I watch people drink booze and they don't get creative. They get either mean or sleepy. But generally speaking, I mean, I know there are lots of uh, artists who've written while drunk and and blah, blah, blah. For me, it doesn't work that way. Um, I just, uh, weed is way more creative. And it was interesting directing a flick that I had written as non, as a non-smoker before I smoked weed and then direct it as a smoker. Yeah. Like, I think that was a big benefit. I don't think the movie would be what it is today if yeah. I had directed it without being a stoner. I mean, 
it, it definitely attributes to like a certain mood and tone and on the set especially it was very easy going and like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> are we shooting today i don't know man what do you want to do where's kevin oh, he's chilling man he's like on his chair go ask him to see the scene that's dope <laughs> yeah totally i would i would roll in like I, I would roll in uh usually at least an hour late every day because my <laughs> my philosophy was like i talked to dave and adam the night before and i was like we're gonna do this we're gonna do this so they knew what the first the scene was going to be but also the first two setups so i was like okay we generally get to a set talk about what the setups are going to be right then they start doing it and then i'm sitting around for another 45 minutes so i was just like i just tell them in advance the previous night so they can when they get to work yeah. responsibly and on time they can start their job and then i could just come an hour later yeah. so i couldn't do that without feeling like oh man that's irresponsible so i'd be like if i bring footage with me every day cut footage then they'll know <laughs> yeah. that at least you did the job yeah i'm yeah. doing something. something i'm not just like bye everybody <sighs> oh yeah this is awesome you know so <laughs> i i would actually go and and work when when my work was done so i would come in an hour late but i would immediately be like hey everybody here's new cut scenes and put them up on the right. monitor and people would gather around and plug them in and and watch them and it was fun it was really cool and it was nice to i, I mean you guys don't uh, probably probably doesn't translate uh, as because you guys are watching the clips and you're not paying attention to me but it's it's a process that just fuels like as yeah. fun as that was for everybody to sit there and watch scenes and as much as it provided me an excuse to come in an hour late more so it was watching the artists who'd created that shit watching it the sum total of their right. work from the day before makes yeah. the that day of work better the next day of work yeah, totally. better i mean it, it's what's what's cool about that is like i mean, most directors don't do that at all i mean there are very few who are as confident to be able to just like and did you do soderbergh before you did red state yeah so yeah. you went from like one set to another of dudes like hey man look at these scenes yeah totally and um yeah, I've been Soderbergh's so good though. You come to a set and he's like, "Here's your scenes from tomorrow." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, but like, I did, uh, I did a movie um, called Dear Wendy. That, mm. This movie that Lars von Trier wrote. Holy shit! And Thomas Vinterberg directed. Holy shit! And they were like very. I mean, most people. Those are, are two like, laugh riot guys. Yeah, really, real wacky knuckleheads. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> fucking like you know <laughs> madcap i believe is the term <laughs> um they're really worried actually about about like giving actors scenes or dailies or something and others are like really into it others are like yeah watch this but you took it to another level of like hey everybody come watch the scene from yeah. last week you know what i mean yeah. it's like not only the actors but you're letting like the whole entire crew there was times like 70 people would be crowded around this little laptop and mm. it would be like projected on the sound and it would be really cool because everybody would be so into what we were doing and that's it was like that from the day we started to the rap party um, you worked with a lot of experienced actors at a young age, and I'm sure you learned a lot from each of them, but was there one thing that you learned from somebody that you think informs uh, the actor that you became? I never like wanted to ask other actors for like advice, ever, because it's like just a weird thing to do. Right. First of all, like what, what are some tips you can give me? Because you watch, or you just like work with great actors, and it's just very apparent in their work or how they treat themselves on set that you don't need to... There's not like some great secret. It's just like you be a good person and like do good work and like put the work into it and stuff. But there's a, a, a very inspiring story to me at least that happened when I, uh, 
I was maybe like 14 or 15, and one of my favorite movies growing up was Back to the Future. Mm. Yeah, and like Back to the Future <laughs> 1, 2, and 3. Lots of these people agree. Yeah. <laughs> one, one, two, and 3, too. Like, I love 1, always like it's flawless. 2, to me, is like the coolest thing in the world, and 3 is just fun. Like, I love everything about those movies. And so Michael J. Fox, if I ever call any actor influential or inspiring to me, Early on in my life, pre-actor days, right. or even as a young guy, it's hard for me to say pre-actor because I was like three. But I like as a young guy who was just like kind of toying around with the idea of like maybe one day I could be in a movie, right. like a cool movie. Um, Michael J. Fox was always like my role model of actors because I thought he was funny. I thought he was really good as an actor, and they were just everything I wanted to be. And and I thought I was similar to him. I re completely related to him. And so one day Did I was... Did you have one of those vests that he wore as Marty McFly? One day I, I, I was my, Marty McFly for Christmas. I'm for Halloween. I was... <laughs> for Christmas, I don't dress up as Santa. I dress up as Marty McFly. <laughs> uh, and, but I, I, I was... This is like two years ago, too, and I dressed up as the perfect Marty McFly. I can't do anything half-assed. I either go nothing or balls to the wall. Right. Like, the pattern on the shirt was exactly Marty McFly. But it was around the time in my life where I was kind of experimenting with, like, facial hair, and I really didn't want to shave because everybody <laughs> around me was also like, you got to fucking shave your face. Like, you're dirty. And I'm... <laughs> And I was so stubborn that I was Marty McFly, and I, I, I but with like a full beard. <laughs> and so everybody was like, "What are you? Are you a lumberjack?" <laughs> and I'm like looking at the, I'm like posing, and it's like, "No, who am I?" And they're like, "I have no idea." And so you were doing huge, the poster pose, yeah. lifted up your glasses. Yeah, it's like a huge disappointment. But <laughs> <laughs> you were like, Marty went back to the fucking caveman days, and there was no razor. That's who I am. <laughs> uh, but. I, uh, so I met, I was, you know, any time I was able to like one day meet Michael J. Fox, I was always looking forward to that day. Mm -hmm. And I, one, I had to audition for this. It was actually a hockey, uh, sitcom that he was doing. I forget the name of it, but he wrote it or he was creating it. And it was the pilot and it was for like a series. It was like an ABC show or something. I, I got to meet Michael J. Fox. I auditioned for the pilot and was asked to screen test and mm -hmm. got called back and everything. And so I, I knew I was going to screen test, but they said that Michael J. Fox wants to meet me the day before the screen test and just like rehearse and stuff and go over the stuff. And so to me, that was like meeting any idol of anybody's, you know right. what I mean? Um, and so I, I, I was able to meet him in the, in the waiting room. Like he came out and like sat with me for like 10 minutes, which is also first, you know, first sign that somebody's a great guy. Right. Like a lot of people like, well, and it sucks to hear this. But a lot of people will just wait in that audition room and you won't see them until you, it's just like, just seems like very vacuous and like fraudulent. And you're like, that's not real. You're not the person I thought. And it's kind of disappointing. Right. But he did everything that I would think a person would do to like, you know, not only meet, but exceed your expectations of like, is this a good person? This person is like so influential. Do they like meet my expectations? And so he sat, he sat down with me for a while and I was like so shy and like so, Nervous. I was so nervous, but I was like, you know, you're really like a, a huge influence in my life. Like, and he's like, oh, that's so sweet. That's so sweet. Thank you. Thank you. And that's pretty good, man. That's pretty good. And you could um, have been the voice in that video game, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so I auditioned. Uh, I mean, I read with him that day, and he he was laughing, and it was really great, and I felt so comfortable. 
And it's like a dangerous thing because as an actor, you do a good audition and you leave and you're like, oh, that was really good. I'm going to get this role. Like, I know it because I, I did good. There's no reason why I shouldn't. And he came out with me. Um, he like walked me out and he talked to me and he was like, you know, I'm going to tell you this story about when I, uh, I, Charlie Sheen took over Spin City for me. And, um, I'm going to give you the same advice that I gave him when like I, I, you know, when he took over for me, I, I took him out to the rafters of the, of the show that we were on. There's like, you know, three, 300 empty seats or so. And I just showed him and I pointed to the seats and I was like, Charlie, you have to let them love you. That's very inspiring. Like, because it's like, let them in, like, let, let yourself be accessible. And that's a weird thing. But when you allow people to access your vulnerability or your, whatever you're feeling, it, it allows them to feel. I mean, just yeah, to, to that, get into some profound, weird, you know, but I ended up auditioning for the, like the huge network, like the day after it's like a room bigger than this. And you're in like center stage with the spotlight on you. And it's like, perform, make us laugh. Right. And it's like 18 pages of dialogue or something. It's like very stressful. And, uh, and he gave me like a big hug after. And, and I just remember thinking that it was a hug of, of like of true thanks but also like this you're not getting this for whatever reason you could feel that in the hug yeah totally and yeah and it's so stressful as an actor because the, especially those auditions because somebody goes in before you and it's just his look or like the laughs he's getting and it's just it's so it's hard to accept because it's very personal right and it's also completely not personal it's like whatever the actor did, you could be the greatest. You could be Meryl Streep and you'll go in and nail and nail something and give the best read of the day, but you won't have what they were, what they want for the role for whatever reason. You didn't flip out. I would have been like, what no. happened to make them love you, Michael? <laughs> what happened to the, you lying cocksucker? They'd have been pulling me out of the room. They're like, he was screaming at fucking Marty McFly. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was like, it was, it was really sad, but it was also like an experience that I, like, meant a lot to me. Right. He, like, sent me a really great letter after, like, saying basically exactly what I just said, like, for whatever reason, like, some things just don't work out sometimes. Totally. And it's nothing against your talent or your personality. It's nothing at all to do with that, even though it is. But it's not. Right. You know, it's, it's, and. No, it, you're right. It's personal and, and impersonal at the same time. It was a huge thing for me as an actor because auditions could be, miserable because you go and especially when you do a great audition and you meet somebody and you're like have a great rapport with them whatever the bullshit is and like the chemistry was great and you were great and it's a role of a lifetime for you and you're whatever you think in your mind you're perfect for this role Mm -hmm. and you don't get it inexplicably you don't get it and it's it helps to know that it's personal but it's really it has nothing to do with you Mm. it just has to do with the fact that the other guy is taller or the other guy is like, yeah, totally. Sometimes they're just looking for that. You know, I'm sorry, man. They want someone thin or oh, I'm yeah. sorry. They want somebody fat. Or uh, it's, uh, and you get, you get feedback too sometimes. And it's like, well, he wasn't, uh, he wasn't dangerous enough. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, like dangerous enough. Did you hear how I reacted to Michael J. Fox? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, and it's like, what the, what are they talking about? Dangerous. Like, why didn't they tell me to be dangerous? Um, did you tell them you got trampled by a fucking horse on Forbidden Kingdom? Yeah, I'm glad you brought it up. 
um, this movie, Forbidden Kingdom, which yeah. is another movie that um, I did when I was 19, and it was with Jackie Chan and Jet Li, and it was a uh, crazy experience. And when I got it, I was kind of like, all right, like, this is, it's going to be tough, because while it's not something I feel like it's like an actor piece or whatever, right? this is like a huge opportunity in whatever sense of the word, and it's going to be a, a, a very big, uh, it's going to be a big undertaking. And it ended up being like 103 days of filming in China. Um, the whole time? Was the whole time in China. And it was like a complete, you know, non-English speaking crew. And it was uh, uh, <laughs> just like me in China. At one day, I would have been like, this is porn, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Like honestly, nobody's speaking English honestly, and I'm in porn. Say what you want about the movie, but I'm just thrilled with the fact that it's a movie. Right. Because that's exactly what I felt. There were days I was like, what are we doing? Like... I, the fact, when I saw the movie, <laughs> like, you're like, what? What? <laughs> you're like, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> there, there were day, the, at the end of the day, I was just like, the fact that there are like linear, like coherent scenes in this movie, I'm like so proud of. You know what I mean? I'm like so happy. There were like, it was, ba- ba- that movie was basically like making an independent movie with Jackie Chan and Jet Li in China. So it's not like a big studio movie where they're like really nice trailers right. and really great like luxuries and <laughs> like craft service and there's even like the rest Where's of the, my trailer? You in latrine. Yeah. I'm not kidding. It was basically that. Really? And like the Red State production was like huge compared to like <laughs> compared the Forbidden Kingdom production. And you were there for how long? For 6 months, just about like 5 and a half months. And then there was times where I was like the only English speaking person on the set and I didn't understand what was happening. And they would be like, I would have like a rope around my neck, like choking in a scene. And the stunt coordinator who was like the stunt coordinator from like Kill Bill and Crouching Tiger and was Master Wu-Ping. Wu-Ping, like he was the, he's been the guy for the last 30, 40 years. Um, he would come up to me, he'd be like, Michael, yeah, 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 no power, no more power, Michael. But he would be like, Michael, almost die. <laughs> that was like one. <laughs> it's one piece of a piece of direction that Wolfgang gave me. He was like, "Michael, that's that almost died. <laughs> like eyes drop. Ah, okay, okay." Um, but it was a crazy movie, and one in which I didn't have a stunt double until like the last like ten days of film, like twenty days of filming. Um, who and he didn't look like me at all. <laughs> Because the most of the time, like, my stunt double was this, like, much shorter than, I'm like 5'7". The stunt double was, like, maybe, like, 5'3", like, 85 pounds. And he was, like, a little Chinese man. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Who looked nothing like me. And that was, like, my stunt double for, like, over the shoulders sometimes. Um, Or, like, a shot literally, like, hundreds of yards away. Right. Um, But it was... uh, Did you ever sit down and be like, what uh, motivation? No, he, he did speak English. <laughs> Nothing at all. I spoke no English. There was at all. no Patrick Fugit like class where you're like, we <laughs> yeah, both exactly. learned to wave this way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, he. So there was like these t- scenes where I would be like, and there were so many days on that set where I would be like, I would show up and they would be like, Michael, you sh- you show up. This is the scene. You you walk to the chair, you sit down, and you take a drink of water. I would be like, oh, I can't, I can't do it. It's like too much. Like it's so hard. Just to do that? I know, not that, but it would be like <laughs> the culmination of days that were right. so incredibly like challenging physically and emotionally that I would be like, this is too much. Right. Um, but yeah, one day I'm like, I find myself running through a bamboo forest with like a horse chasing me. And like, there's this little opening of bamboo trees where I have to fall and the guy on the horse has to grab this, this staff out of my hand. 
I'm just like, you know, weapon out of my hand. Mm. And so I fall too early and the horse tramples me. And it didn't hurt and it looked like it hurt. Why, you saw the footage? Yeah, they showed me right after. And there was like complete silence on the set. Just like trample and then like, like you hear the bamboo growing. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and then like the director just like really carefully like makes his way to me. He's like, Michael, you hurt? And I'm like, uh, no, but the horse just trampled me. And I want everybody here to know that. Yeah, really? Yeah. Um, Can I get credit for that? Yeah. And Master Wolping's like, Michael, you almost die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you take direction very well. <laughs> uh, what the fuck, dude? Like it just, it, the, the horse literally walked on you. Did you feel he it's- ran over me? Yeah. He like basically, I mean, he got my legs, but he didn't like, step on me he like more like kicked me it looked like full-on i didn't know what happened because i was knocked out for 10 minutes no (laughs) (laughs) i came to my cock was in the mouth of an asian man (laughs) it was in the forbidden kingdom (laughs) uh yeah no i i um i i i didn't know what i didn't know what it looked like but i watched it i was like i got fucking trampled just now like there's no if ends or buts i was literally just ran on by a horse like ran through on a horse and it looked crazy, but you know, did they use it in the movie at all? No, not at all. Cause it was like a take where they, it didn't work. Right, right, right. And, but it, what really got me really kind of upset was the fact that it wasn't even in the, uh, you know, the, the, uh, outtakes. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. when they show Jackie Chan, like getting, like breaking his head on takes, like they didn't show me getting trampled by a horse. Yeah. Like, yeah. What's the reasoning behind that? I don't understand. Um, but you actually, I think I said that to you, and you were like, well, you're like 19 years old. You're yeah, like, I'm sure they're like, they don't want to put out footage of like, you look younger, you look yeah. like a kid in the movie, and like, here's all these shots of a grown-up adult Jackie Chan making the decision to hurt himself, right. and then suddenly they cut to the little kid who's like, everyone tell everyone I was trampled. <laughs> <laughs> right. Passing out to the side. <laughs> uh, anybody else? Kevin has often talked about how Red State is really an actor's movie. And uh, working with such a incredibly talented crew, and one that really went in uh, for such a low budget, the energy that must have been on set must have been tremendous of everybody being there just for the art of it. Uh, how did that in, in, inform your um, performance and and the rest of the cast? Where it really gets into you know the what the movie is. Yeah, the bush, uh, if you will. Yeah, <laughs> and. Uh, it's to the credit of the writing and also like the other actors involved. Thank God Adam uh, scheduled the movie. We started on day one with that lunch uh, quad scene yeah, yeah. that we showed on a previous episode. And um, by the end of it, by the end of that scene, when we wrapped and started moving out to do another piece, um, I was like, oh shit, man. If the, if the shit that yeah. up till now I didn't care about is that fucking good and now I'm invested right. in that too... Who knows where the other shit will go? Right. So you guys set the tone in a big bad way, in a wonderful way, because everything that followed after that was uh, was kind of good, really good. And uh, what you ended up doing was perfect because we all left that day being like, "Well, what did we do? Mm. You know, was it good? I don't know. Like, I I felt fine. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And a lot of movies I did, like I did this movie Snow Angels with David Gordon Green, that was. Really, for me, the whole movie was very seamless, and like it, it I felt like I was not acting at all. Mm-hmm. And the whole movie, I was stressed out because I was like, "What am I doing? Is this good?" 
and the movie turned out to be good. Right, right, right. And so sometimes the things that really seem effortless and like seamless are the things that work. But this thing had a life of its own. You worked with, with David Gordon Green. What was that dude like? He's awesome. The first time I, first time I met him, it was a very weird meeting because he's a very enigmatic kind of guy. Like you don't know what he's thinking. He's like really hard to read because he's kind of weird. It's like he has a weird sense of humor and he has like a weird kind of disposition. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, but he was, I, we, it turned out like we found out that I didn't know what I was meaning for. I thought I was meaning for one thing and he thought it was for another thing. And so we ended up figuring out that both of us felt weird for different reasons. So it like attributed it to the weirdness of it. But right. as a, as a director, he's really, really cool to work with because what he does as a director is like he'll rehearse it 10 different ways, dozens of different ways, like hundreds of different ways before you go and do it. And he had us go, and he's also, he knows what he wants to. Uh, with great directors, the most important thing, I think, is decisiveness. Right. There's no, there's no room for indecision. There's at least make a choice and stick with it and know why it's there. But don't, don't be indecisive. You have to know what you want and, you have to know how to, even if you don't know how to get it, it's more important to know at least what you want. Yeah. Because you can describe to a composer something like, I want more simple. I want more like complex. I want like loud guitar. Or you, you could be like, he wasn't dangerous enough. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, uh, he's really very like interested in like weird performance things. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? And he would tell us to do a scene exactly word for word, like in the script. And then you'd be like, okay, now do the scene with your eyes. And you would spend most of it trying to figure out what the hell he meant. And then you would spend the other half being like, yeah, yeah, I'm into this. Like, he's on to something. And then you would do it a completely different way. And that script ended up being, you know, a lot of based on, I mean, that movie ended up being based on, it be, ended up being a lot of the script. But the really great moments in there are the moments that we discovered, like, in those weird improv sessions that we had with along him, you know the way. I mean? Yeah. The really weird moments where he would be like, write that down, whatever you just did, like whatever you said there, he'd be like, write that shit down. I guess that's good. He gave an interview years ago in uh, Austin. I think it was the Austin American Statesman or one of those papers or something like that. But he said, uh, uh, I guess he'd done this movie, George Washington. That was his movie that kind yeah. of broke him onto the scene. And, uh, somebody was talking about his low budget flick. Um, from what I understand, his was as well. Clerks was low budget flick. Person right. brought up clerks. They were just like, do you feel like, uh, movies like clerks and Kevin Smith helped pave the way for movies like this? And the dude said, uh, I think, um, Kevin Smith, um, lowered the bar and turned independent film into a kind of special Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think of that? I thought that was kind of funny. Did you? <laughs> I did. I wanted to be real mad, but I was just like, that's actually pretty fucking funny and shit like that. I've actually, I've since, I've, 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 I, I kind of knew about that, like vaguely, like vaguely just about that. Mm. Um, but I told him because I'm good friends with him too. And mm -hmm. I told him that I was going to do this movie and he, he was actually like, <laughs> oh, I think his movies are actually like really interesting now. I think he's like taking like very like, like the last few movies he's done are like really good and like really funny and like definitely that's things. just something you say to your friend when you're he's like I'm going to work on a Kevin Smith movie you're like well you know he's yeah, not maybe. he's not completely bad you know <laughs> yeah right maybe um, 
It's okay though. I mean, I remember feeling like he was all fierce fucking indie film and shit and yeah. all sorts of like this motherfucker ruined indie film with the fucking clerks bullshit and whatnot. But I, mean, but I saw a trailer for Your Highness. Exa- yeah, exactly. Which looks like a $90 million film with an animatronic or CGI snake in it. And yeah. I was like, who's the fucking non indie bitch now, motherfucker? No, it's like exactly right. Maybe, maybe it's like. <laughs> yeah, and then that's, that movie sucks the studio cock in like a major way of like, we're going to put Natalie Portman's ass in it. And then we're going to put the giant snake that fucking the dude from the HBO show's got to fight. I mean, that. That to me, when I saw that trailer, I was like, well, death comes for us all, doesn't it, David Gordon Green? (laughs) But in a way, it's kind of also like, (laughs) it's kind of also like he's, in a a way, just shows that it was not something that made sense when he said it. Maybe it's like his indie weird, like, because he, he definitely is also somebody who's like done something completely differently than like what he first started doing, like. I'm like working with him. I'm surprised that he did like George Washington and like all the real girls and like Snow Angels and then Pineapple Express and then Your Highness. And oh no, like, there's a logic to that. <laughs> yeah. No money, no money, lots of money. Yeah. Hey. No, it's exactly right. Yeah. So I mean, it's. I think it just goes to show. It's like, I, you know, it's. No, it just goes to show you're a good guy and he's a fucking prick. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-huh. Um, so, you are a good guy, and you were phenomenal in this fucking film, and you were more help to me than than you even know. So much so that, and and beyond all that, you're just a fucking fantastic actor. So much so the movie was done, I was like, you got to learn to skate because you're gonna be in the next flick. Um, but thank you for for doing the flick. Thanks for bringing that. Thanks for that. I mean, again, you probably don't realize how influential that first meeting was, but right then and there, I was like, we might be okay. This kid cool. seems to know what he's doing. You know. Yeah. Um, so thank you for that. Thanks for coming out tonight. Everybody give it up for Michael Angarano. And we'll see you guys next week on Red State of the Union Q&As. Good night. Find more funny shit like this at smodcast.com. There's so many to choose from. There are so many to choose from on the Smodcast Podcast Network. On Sundays, it's me and Scott doing the classic Smodcast, the show that started it all. Mondays, it's me and Ralph Garman doing Hollywood Babylon. There's so many to choose from. Tuesdays, you get a double shot of goodness, man. Malcolm Ingram's blowhard, as well as Red State of the Union Q&As, our podcast show about our forthcoming movie. There's so many to choose from. On Thursdays, drop the gloves with the puck nuts. The same guys that bring you Tell Em Steve Dave on Fridays. And don't forget on Saturdays, Jay and Silent Bob get old with me and Jason Muse. There's so many to choose from. You could try some shows that aren't so regular. just happen every once in a while like Highlands, a people history. Where me and people that grew up in the town I grew up look back at the town we grew up in. Smarriage at Smod Castle, where real live people get real live married by real Rev Kev, that'd be me. There's so many to choose from. Smodimations, that's where me and Scott are drawn as cartoons. They take little sections of Smodcast we've done and animate them, man, and make them even funnier somehow. And if you've ever been to Smod Castle, then you've met Matt Cohen, and Matt Cohen has his own show, Bagged and Boarded, which is also now at Smodcast.com. There's so many to choose from. I know you keep telling me, man, but did you know that most of the podcasts at Smodcast.com are recorded live in front of a studio audience at Smodcastle, our theater out in Los Angeles on Santa Monica Boulevard between Wilcox and Cole?
There's so many to choose from. Scott, even at Smodcastle, there are so many to choose from. Every week, you could see Malcolm Ingram do his show, Blowhard Live. You could see me and Jason Muse doing Jay and Silent Bob Get Old. You could see Matt Cohen doing Bagged and Boarded. You can come see Tom Green do a show down there. You could see me and Mosier doing the occasional Smodcast 3D. There's so many to choose from. That's right. For one low price, a hundred bucks, you could see every show. That happens in Smodcastle for a month. Every show you go, you get that basically comes down to be like four bucks a show. I mean, come on, you can't get a better deal than that. Go to smodcastle.com slash smodpass for the smodpass, or just stay right here on smodcast.com and listen to any of the shows that we throw up there free for nothing because we love you. And guess what? There's so many to choose from. That's right, Scott. There are so many to choose from. Smodcast.com. There's so many to choose from.